passages, of course, is Matthew chapter 4, and then also turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> we're going to read this, these four verses, and then we will read the first ten verses of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you may want to be aware that we're reading Deuteronomy chapter 8 because this is what our Lord quoted in the context to the evil one as he is being tempted in his physical need. And that quotation is from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. I actually have it highlighted in my Bible for us to note here as we go through. So the book of Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Whenever there is a quotation, <clears throat> there is a context in which that quotation is given. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply <clears throat> and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. 
So we go back to Matthew chapter 4. We have been looking at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And one of the things that we've discussed is that in many ways, this temptation is unique to Him. And that uniqueness to Him will not be replicated in its entirety. And so it really has no direct application to believers. However, believers are tempted in the same general categories. And so to see how our Lord handled it is beneficial to us. Because what we have here in this temptation is a warfare and a conflict between the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the highest fallen angel. And this conflict was initiated by God. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness for this purpose, to be tempted by the devil. He is going to be tempted in the wilderness just in the same way that ethnic Israel was led into the wilderness and they too were tempted. They failed. They failed at least ten times, God says. Ten times they put God to the test. And Jesus, being the true Israel... And of course, if you remember, the word Israel means prince with God. Him being the true prince of God, he is being led into the wilderness in a parallel fashion. He will secede where they fail. And thanks be to God for that. And what happens is, is that in the very first temptation, Jesus is brought to bodily need and weakness of humanity. And I think that goes to say, if we go without eating, let's say even a meal, we will begin to feel the effects of it. If we go without a meal for a day, we'll really begin to feel the effects of it. You go several days, you go up to five days, and the body actually begins in its weakness to conserve energy. So you just won't feel like running a marathon after not eating for five days. But you may be more alert mentally of heart, but your body is still growing weaker and weaker. Jesus was brought to this weakness of humanity and bodily need because he fasted not one day, not two days, but 40 days and 40 nights in a place where there was no food. It was in the wilderness. Not only was it in the wilderness with no food, but Mark tells us that the wild beasts were there. So he was also susceptible to attack by animals. He's there by himself. Of course, the Lord God is with him. And what this bodily need and weakness of humanity causes is it becomes the occasion for the temptation. 
You'll notice here, <clears throat> he fasted, verse 2, Matthew 4, 40 days and 40 nights. He then became hungry, and at the point of his hunger, how intense would that be? His point of his hunger, the tempter came. And he did not come with compassion. He did not come to give him food. He did not come to sympathize with him. He did not come to say, let's pray to the Lord about this. He did not come to show him mercy. He did not come to show him compassion. He came for the purpose of tempting the Lord to do evil. And that tells us something about the devil, doesn't it? He actually appears to us as if he is caring for us. But in reality, what he is doing is attempting to have you walk contrary to God's will and mind. This is what is going on here. And brethren, what Jesus is being tempted in is not a sinful desire. He had no sin nature. You and I have a sin nature. <clears throat> you and I have sinful desires. What Jesus is being tempted in is in His natural desires. Natural desires are not inherently evil. For instance, was it sinful that Jesus was hungry? The answer to that is no. Was it sinful on another occasion that He thirsted? The answer to that is no. These are natural bodily functions given to us by God to kind of prod us on so that we would eat when we need to eat and drink when we need to drink. <clears throat> These are natural desires. And this is where Jesus is being tempted. He's being tempted along the line of these natural desires. I think that we think of temptation as in our sinful desires only. For instance, if I had a desire to <clears throat> take my brother here and squeeze him his neck till he dies, you would say, ah, you're being tempted. Don't do it. Right? And we would say, well, I'm being tempted, but I resisted temptation. But there is a temptation that is associated with our natural desires also. And of course, we read about that. <clears throat> we read in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, I, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life. What you shall eat, and what you shall drink. Those are natural desires, aren't they? He says to us, don't think about clothing. Clothing is a natural thing. Hopefully it was more natural among people to be clothed. But clothing is a natural thing. We know inherently, unless you're a baby, we know inherently that we should put on clothes to present ourselves. But natural desires can become an occasion to be tempted of the devil. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, the temptation is to worry. And when we worry, we are being drawn away from serving God to serving the thing that would provide 
the natural desire. So if we're all concerned about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, if we get an offer from a company that's in another state and they're going to double our salary and we're concerned about our retirement and we're concerned about our housing and we're concerned about providing for the family, that could become a temptation that we would just say yes to the job but in essence, the job is landing you in a place where there's not a New Testament church. Everybody following what I'm saying? And so here are these natural things that can lead us astray. Worry, care, anxiety over present or future concerns are part of our weaknesses as fallen believers. And it can become a seedbed of temptation. Now as we look at Matthew chapter 4 and we begin to look at his answer to this. Here it is, Satan says, prove your sonship by commanding that these stones become bread. And Jesus refused to do that. He's going to refuse to prove his sonship by tempting God to do something on his behalf. But in this case, he has the ability. Does he have the ability to turn the stones into bread? Yes or no? Yes, yes he does. But he's not going to exert that. But what he does do is he does answer the temptation in verse 4. And he answers it by quoting... Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, a portion of that, when he says, here's his answer, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I had made mention before that I think Jesus understood that he and ethnic Israel were in similar circumstances. And I think all three of these temptations he quotes from the Old Testament, from Israel's own situation in that temptation. And he understood what the Word of God said. What did the Word of God say concerning his circumstance? It said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Him quoting this verse really isn't all that is encompassing on how to answer temptation. In other words, verses aren't rabbit's feet or something that you just throw out like a curse or a charm when you are in dire situations. Jesus not only quoted the verse, He understood the verse, and He believed the verse. That's what made the passage conclusive. It was His mindset about this passage. And he verbalized his mindset by what he said. Remember what the Lord said. Out of the abundance of the heart, you what? So when we hear him speaking, 
it's telling us what's going on in his heart, how he's thinking about this circumstance. In essence, what he is saying is this, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He is saying to the devil, I do not live by food alone. My soul is satisfied, though my body is painfully hungry. My physical life is to be lived, now listen carefully, my physical life is to be lived by bread and word. Our bodies live by bread, yes? My life is to be lived by bread and word. However, if the bread is gone, the word will sustain me. So I will not demand that the stones be made bread to prove that I am in right relationship to my Father. I will trust His providence in my life. Everybody hear that? I'm going to say it again. All, all complete here. In essence, what he is saying, based on this verse, is, I do not live by bread alone. My soul is satisfied, though my body painfully is hungry. My physical life is to be lived by both bread and word. However, if the bread is gone, the word will sustain my physical being. I will not therefore demand that the stones be made bread to prove my relation and sonship to my Father. I will trust His providence. My Father will provide in His time. Now that's worthy of a lot of meditation. Did the Lord provide for Him in His time? Yeah. And the answer to that, as we have seen before, is yes. Here in Matthew chapter 4, look down at verse 11. <clears throat> Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now that word minister is a word that means service. And it is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 6 when it talks about that we will not leave the word of God to minister tables. But we will give ourselves to the service or the serving of prayer and the word. Everybody hear the differences there. So when it says that the angels came and began to minister to him, it is very, very likely that what is meant by that is that they came and they brought him food. They provided food for him at that time. And it would have strengthened him and it would have carried him back into the heart of Israel to do verse 12 to begin his ministry in his preaching. Everybody see that? So here's what we have. This is a category. We'll never be tempted like this. The devil's not going to show up to you visibly 
and you're not going to hunger for 40 days, and you don't have the ability to make bread <laughs> out of stones, even if you wanted to. But we do have a category of temptation that we are liable to. And that is to disobey the Word of God to supply our natural desires of life. One commentator wrote, Israel's hunger had been intended to show them that hearing and obeying the Word of God is the most important thing in life. Likewise, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. As a son in God's house, then he writes this, more necessary than bread for Jesus was obedience to God's word. More necessary than bread was obedience to God's word. And we just have to pause here and asked ourselves, is our desire to obey greater than the pains of our natural, normal desires not being met? And brethren, I think that that's a very hard question to evaluate because you're here and probably probably most of you had food today but if you went 40 days and 40 nights without food and then I asked you the question do you value obedience to God's word over your food. That might be a different consideration. Would you agree with that? Brethren, this is our Lord. The perfect man values obedience to God over His necessary bread. And this is exactly what Job said. Job was brought into temptation, wasn't he? And he was brought into desolation and barrenness. And this is what Job said in Job 23. I'll quote it for you. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Do you hear that? Because it's easy for us to dismiss this and say, well, this is the Lord. (laughs) He's perfect. But Job was not perfect, was he? Job was a light man and light passions like we are. And this is what he told his friends. 
I've not moved from the path. I've not moved from His way. I've not turned aside. I've not abandoned what He has said. I have treasured. Now get the impact of that word. I have treasured the words of God more than what I treasure food and drink. Folks, this is the only way that we won't turn aside. The only way that we won't turn aside from the Word of God is if we're really treasuring His Word to the degree that we should be treasuring it. And we're all at different maturities with that, are we not? And the Lord knows that. But I can assure you that He will bring you into certain circumstances according to your maturity so that you will learn prayerfully. You will learn to treasure His words more than food or drink or clothing or whatever. Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 4, He had stopped by the well and He was thirsty. And you know the woman at the well, she comes there out of Samaria. He begins to talk to her, to lead her to Himself. The disciples had gone into the city to buy bread. And they had come back, amazed that He was talking to the woman. And they urged him to eat. He wouldn't eat the bread. Do you remember what he said? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 4, verse 34. So, brethren, Jesus just wasn't tempted with this temptation in the wilderness. He was tempted all throughout His ministry. And all throughout of His ministry, He made His food, His bread, His nourishment, what God said, and the doing of what God said, that is what nourished His life. And what a blessing... (laughs) You've got to step back and be amazed at the power of God. And you realize our own weaknesses, even the best of us. Jesus wasn't around telling people, looking for people. He wasn't on His cell phone in the wilderness asking people to pray that the Lord would provide Him food. He just trusted in the circumstances that He was in. Because God's will and word was supreme. He loved God with all his heart, all his soul, all his might. and all his mind. Don't you see that in the text? 
And brethren, the Lord wants us and will provide the circumstances to put us in similar light. To bring circumstances into our life that will bring us to a choice. And He has done that in my life. I have succeeded in just a few and to be honest, have failed in most of them. But this is part of His child training on our behalf. He wants us to grow to make His Word and will our nourishment. Even though our bodies grow weaker and weaker. And our bodies are going to grow weaker. I've said this before. The best you can do in this life bodily is to die healthy. But you're going to die. We're going to get weaker. Things are going to shut down. And God wants us to treasure His Word in our hearts. The Lord can bring us, according to Romans chapter 8, He can bring us to a place of groaning. We can be brought to a place of groaning because we don't have what we need or what we think we need. We can be brought to a place of groaning because of an illness. I was just talking to someone this afternoon. And this person has had severe illness come in his life. Never thinking that he would ever, ever, ever have to deal with some of the things that he's dealing with. Neither do we. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. But if it comes, and if sickness comes, and if our body does grow weak, in spite of all that bodily weakness, your soul can prosper. Did you hear that? Your soul can prosper. Because it can be satisfied and nourished with the engrafting and the accomplishing of His will. This is the context in which the devil is, Jesus is answering the devil. And you can see with that type of mindset, he just wasn't quoting a passage to him as if it was a lucky charm that would drive the devil away. He knew it. He understood it. He lived it. He believed it. And the devil had no response to the quoting of that passage. Now I want to conclude by turning to that passage. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8. And I have six or seven thoughts that I want to bring out of this passage that I think would be helpful for us. 
Of course, you know the context is not the church. The context is ethnic Israel in the wilderness. And the first thing I want to bring to our attention is that when Moses is preaching to them this preaching, the Lord demands of us to have conscientious attention not just to learning about the Lord, but doing what we learn. Note what it says. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful. Careful to what? To do them. And we've talked about this. A disciple is a learner follower. They're not just learners. And they're not just doers with no learning. <laughs> they're learner followers. God tells us, as He told Israel, that when we are in weakness, we must make a conscientious, undistracted attention to what God has said so that we will what? We'll do it. What is the danger when this type of thing comes? We become distracted because of our bodily need. If I'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, what do you think my body and mind would be consumed in my thinking? Food. I've got to have food. And the Lord says that when we're brought to that type of weakness, when we begin to sense that something is captivating our thoughts, we've got to stop and give a conscientious attention to what God has said and to be careful once we understand it to do it. That's the answer to that temptation. And of course, our Lord Himself did that. Secondly, <clears throat> what the Lord asked for us to do, this is the context behind Deuteronomy 8.3, that our Lord would have been thinking. Secondly, we need to remember how the Lord has worked in our life previously. Look at verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. And of course, he's going to tell them, look down at verse 4. Remember this, your clothing did not wear out on you. Remember this, your foot did not swell these 40 years. Remember, verse 7, where the Lord's taking you. He's taking you into a good land. Everybody, everybody see the remembrance there. Remember what God did for that nation. Did He bring water out of a rock? Did He supply manna out of heaven? Did He deliver them from the Egyptians? Has He not delivered you from your sins? Has He not provided for you all these years of your pilgrimage? Has He not showed favor to you and mercy to you beyond what you expect? Remember. Remember. 
Remember your pilgrimage. And folks, when we get consumed, and I'm speaking from experience, as well as Scripture, when we get consumed about what we perceive as a bodily need, there is this urgent bodily desire that is there. We forget. <laughs> because the only thing we're thinking about is right when? Right now. And if you're like me, you start thinking things like, well, I'm not so sure the Lord can do this. <laughs> well, has He answered your prayers before? He take care of you before? What do you mean He can't do this? But that's what your need is screaming to you in that. We need to remember the way that God has led us in our pilgrimage. And we need to remember this. Look at verse 5. Thus you are to know in your heart. You're to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Folks, why did God allow Jesus to be hungry? Why did He bring Him into the wilderness to tempt Him? by the devil. He was child training the humanity of Christ. Jesus learned obedience by the things He would. Suffered. He learned obedience in His humanity. God doesn't have to learn obedience. But Jesus was fully man, was He not? as well as fully God. Jesus understood that He was being child trained and that the point of child training is to obey. To learn to obey in that particular situation. And what did that look like? <clears throat> Well, go back up to verse 2, Deuteronomy 8. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God hath led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Now, why did God lead them in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, there was a lot of sub-reasons, but here's the reason. That He might humble you. Everybody see that? In other words, <clears throat> the aim of your weakness is for you to develop humility. Humility is something we don't like. We would rather be self-confident Self-assured. We would rather know beyond knowing. 
If we were in charge, we would never have any lack. Agreed? But we're not in charge. The very act of God bringing us into a circumstance that brings us into bodily need is to humble us. Now, a passage that I've run across in my Bible reading I think is very helpful. I'll give you the reference and then I'll just paraphrase it. The reference is in 2 Chronicles 32.26. And the way it's translated is translated this way in our English Bible. Listen to it carefully. Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart. Do you hear that? Hezekiah humbled. He humbled what? The pride of his heart. Now Jesus had no pride. But we do. And God, the Divine Father, brought Israel into that wilderness for the purpose of child training. Child training what? To learn obedience. How do you learn obedience? And I've said this many times. In Philippians 2 it says, Jesus humbled Himself becoming obedient. Humility happens before the obedience. And I've had many of you, and I've had myself, and I've had my wife, and many other Christian people who have been brought into situations that they would have never foreseen, and somewhere along the line, they will tell me, this just crushed me, and I had to acknowledge to God that I had pride of heart. And folks, when we recognize that, and we recognize that that crushing of our pride, our cockiness, our self-assertion, our knowing what everybody needs to do, when that's humbled biblically, that's a good thing. And God's aim in our lives as New Testament believers is to bring us into circumstances of humility so that we might humble the pride of our heart, so that we might treasure God's Word in our heart and give undistracted attention so that we might obey it. And the end of that is that we become partakers of His holiness. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Conformity into the image of His Son. I've never had anybody say to me, I can't wait to be conformed in the image of His Son. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and that's exactly what I want to be. 
But the Lord will bring us to places of need. Sometimes severe need. To teach us, we don't live by natural desires and needs being met. But we live by the Word of God. And Jesus understood that the wilderness temptation was God leading him for him to humble himself and become obedient. Now look at look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 that he might humble you testing you. Now God's not testing you to do evil. What is he testing you to do? To know what is in your what? Heart what in your heart is He testing you? Whether you will keep His commandments or not. That's what He's testing you. And folks, God already knows that, right? He's bringing what's in our heart to our attention. Because when the dinner table is full, and the refrigerator is full, and the freezer is full, and your bank account is full, and you have multiple cars and multiple houses, and anything that you want to buy, you could pretty much go buy it at any time. That, and you would say to me, yes, I obey the Lord. And I would say amen to that. But I would say the test on really whether you obey the Lord like you think you obey the Lord is when you don't have those things. And that's when we can accuse God of severity. And that's exactly what ethnic Israel did in the wilderness. They complained, they murmured, they railed against the Lord. They said, oh, we remember. We don't remember how God provided. We remember the cucumbers and the leeks and the garlic that we all ate in Egypt. And we respond in like manner if we don't give undistracted attention to His Word. Being humbled reveals the true present state of one's heart. And as I mentioned this morning, you'll see the ugly before you see the good. You'll see the dross before you see the gold. And folks, our hearts can be very ugly. I don't know what number I'm on, but whatever the next number is. We need to come to the place with our whole heart that my life is entirely dependent on everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We've got to deal with that. If we are brought to a place of barrenness, and it doesn't have to be a wilderness, it doesn't have to mean that you don't have food in the cupboard or something like that. It could just be, let's take this one, it could be cancer. That's a devastation, isn't it? It could be a disability. 
It, it could be lots of things. It doesn't have to be food or drink or raiment. But when we are brought to a place of barrenness, and we are tempted by the devil. And what he tempts us to do is to go back to the world. To turn our back on God. To accuse God of not being good. When we hear Naomi say, go back to your family in Moab. We've got to say, do not urge me to leave or to turn back from following the Lord. Have you ever said this to the Lord? I have, many times. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. You ever said this to the Lord? Your people shall be my people. You ever said this to Jesus? Your God will be my God. But the severity of the barrenness can bring us to the place where what we hear in our head is, go back. Turn the stones into bread. Curse God and die. And brethren, we must not do that. We must follow our Lord by saying, I understand. I need grace, but I understand that I don't live by what's on my table. I don't live by cars and houses and lands and bank accounts. My life depends in its entirety 110% on God's Word operating in my life. Folks, all God has to say is die and you're gone. And this is why seeing this and knowing this that I think at this point you would agree with the Lord when He says, pray our Father which is in heaven, lead me not into what? Temptation. Temptation. <coughs> but deliver me from evil. No human being would want to be placed in a position like this. But if we are, as believers, and things are dark, we've got to understand that the Lord has permitted this for us to humble the pride of our heart. To understand and know something about Him. Because we thought, we thought we were doing great. And then this happened. And I don't feel so great anymore. And I don't feel so mature anymore. 
And I don't feel so much as an example anymore. I just feel dirty. And without strength. And the Lord says, I dwell with the humble and contrite heart. Everybody understand that? This, this is what Jesus was thinking in His heart. Not everything I've said, but the context of this passage. Is there a New Testament application of Deuteronomy 8? And I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. (coughs) And we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12, you know the situation. The Hebrews were being tempted to apostatize from Christ and go back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews writes and says in verse 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now the context of this is what had happened to Christ. You'll notice in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, He endured a cross. He despised the shame. Verse 3, He endured hostility. He endured contradiction against Himself. He endured weariness. And He was tempted to lose heart. Everybody see that? Alright. Now you need to understand when these things happen in your life. You need to remember verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the what? The Lord is disciplining you. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 8, verse 5. It's a quotation from Proverbs, but it's referencing back to Deuteronomy 8, 5. And don't faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. And folks, here's the great thing about what happened to ethnic Israel in the wilderness. God did give them the provision to endure, did He not? They had the man in the morning. They had the provision of water. They had the Word of God. They had a shepherd. He provided. He gave them endurance. And they were supposed to understand that that endurance was so they could be proper sons. Verse 7, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're without discipline, of which all, that is believers, are partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Furthermore, we've had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them. But He, that is the Father, disciplines us for our, can we say it? Good. Did you see that? He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet for those who have been trained by it, in other words, you have submitted to this process. You have humbled the pride of your heart. You have treasured His Word above all things. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So therefore, He doesn't say to pray for this. He just tells you, strengthen your hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet. Because you understand what the Lord is doing. Brethren, when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, this whole context of discipline, this whole context of learning to obey, this whole context of treasuring His word above all things, was all there in His mindset. And that's what made the quoting of the passage powerful to which Satan had no response to what he has said. New Testament believers are being child trained. And the Lord is bringing us. We're on a pilgrimage through the wilderness of this world. And we are being brought not to Mount Sinai, not to the land of Canaan, but to the city of the living God. There are brooks of waters there. There is food without scarcity. You will never have lack when you get there to that city. It is the heavenly Jerusalem, a city that cannot be shaken. So brethren, by the grace of God, let's not be like ethnic Israel. But let's learn, understand, and be careful to do what He has said to us. And understand this humility, obedience to be conformed into the image of His Son. And wouldn't you like to be conformed into Christ's image and how He handled that? Circumstances don't matter. It's how He handled it. It was His mindset that made the difference. Let's pray.